Uh, we're taking our Bibles and going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this evening. I don't know about you, but was I the only one this, this morning when Pastor Berger pulled that hat out? You started thinking about him in the middle of the night creeping through his neighbor's trash, trying to find what it was and sneaking, I, I don't know, just trying to find every vice possible. I, it was just one of those moments where I just found it pretty hilarious. But uh, first, Deb did, that's right, Deb did it, of course, yes. And Sharon, you wrote this message, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5 this evening. It's, uh, it was very interesting to me as uh, when pastor asked me to preach and I, I began to get this message ready. Uh, and then listening to the message this morning, how even though we didn't coordinate on any of the message, how, how they both dovetail so nicely together. Uh, when, we look at, when we look at First Thessalonians 5, I want to look at the idea of what we call fool's gold. Uh, the word eureka is simply a Greek word that means, uh, meaning simply I have found it. And for a generation of people, it, it literally meant I have found riches, I have found an early retirement, I have found a carefree life. In uh, January 24th, 1948, James Marshall uh, found gold outside of Sutter's Mill, which is just uh, outside of San Francisco. Word quickly spread and everybody got excited. And we know about the, uh, the gold rush that began to happen in 1949 into 1950. Many people left their friends, left their family, took the arduous journey across the, the country or by boat to the San Francisco area in order to hope to strike it rich and to, to, find, to find gold. However, when they got there, many of them uh, began to find a problem. Many of the 49ers had a problem. They had, oh, wait, wrong, wrong 49ers, wrong problem, but we'll, we'll leave that to another time. The, uh, the 49ers had an issue. Uh, the issue was fool's gold. When they began, you're right there. When, when, the, when they got there and they started going through and they began to look, trying to figure out, was this gold, was it not? Was it fool's gold? And so what they ended up doing was they developed tests that would help them to decide, is this real? Is this, is this not real? So, so when they were going through, there was the, the first, one of the first tests they had was what they called the bite test. They would bite down on the gold and uh, the tooth, the human tooth is harder than the, the mineral gold. And so if you could bite down on it and your tooth didn't chip, then you knew that, that it was legitimate gold. And that to this day, you still see Olympic athletes doing the bite thing, showing, I think it's more for photo ops now, but that was where, where that originated, that idea, even through, through history, biting on a coin just to see if it was real or if it was fake. After many broken tooths and chipped tooths, they found a little bit more sane way to do it. They called it the scratch test. They would take a piece of white ceramic and they would scratch on the, on the white ceramic. And if it would leave a golden luster, a yellowish luster, then it was gold. But pyrite, the, the fool's gold, would leave a greenish or a, a greenish black uh, hue on the stone. And then they would realize that this was, this was fool's gold. And so they developed this in order to understand, and they understood very quickly, that all that glitters is not gold. And when we look at the idea of First, First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is going to talk about the fact that all that glitters isn't gold. We have a responsibility as believers to be discerning. We need to look just like the miners did and discern, is this real, is this genuine, or is this not? And when I, when I look at these areas, I have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to take what comes into our lives and say, is this real? Is this genuine? Is this something that I need to, to put to practice in my life? Unfortunately, today, discernment's about as fashionable as truth and humility. We want to take it. We want to put it to the side. We are taught to choose tolerance. We're taught that we should choose the tolerance over truth. We should uh, not draw lines. We should just be accepting of everybody. Rather... 
we should take in what they have to say, everyone, everything, every idea, just be accepting of that. And this idea has permeated our culture. It's been, it's been through many, many years and decades now, but we're beginning to see it more and more, not just outside the church, but in many churches today. Looking and saying, we're just going to accept any idea, any belief, and we don't want to draw lines. We don't want to, we don't want to do that because discernment is becoming uh, unfashionable. And I believe one of the reasons that that is happening is because many of our words in the English language, they've been hijacked. They've been changed. You, you, you look through all these lists here. We're not going to take time to go through them all. But I guarantee you that if right now I began to ask you to define these words, there would be a generation gap in some of the, some of the ways that the teens would define these words as to somebody who may be over, Pastor, you just turned 60, so we'll use 60, um, 60 and older. Well, you know, th- there might be a difference in, in definition. And we, we see how culture has changed language and terms and I believe that we can even see that in another word that has happened in our society. It's the word discriminator, the word discrimination. It's one of those words that we look at, and when you instantly see that, most of us think a negative connotation. We look and we say, we should not be discriminatory. We should not have discrimination in our life. Discrimination is evil. But for, for the longest time, the word discriminate did not have, a, have an evil or a, a negative connotation. In fact, the word discrimination at its basic definition is to make a clear distinction. At least that's what it was is the number one. When you go through Webster's Dictionary, you know how they'll put the most commonly used definition and then the multiple other ones. Up until the last uh, 30 years, if you go back on their online dictionaries, this was the number one definition. Only in the recent years has this become the number two definition to the idea of uh, to discriminate against a person, a race, an ethnicity, a, a group of people. That has recently become the number one way that this, this word is used. And we look at this word discrimination, and we instantly think, well, we should not be discriminatory. We, we shouldn't do that. And yet the Bible does call us to discriminate between good and evil, to make a clear distinction. And what has happened is we take this word discernment, and it is very synonymous. When you look through scriptures, there's, there's a corollary between the two. And we've taken the word discernment, which we are to have, we are to be discerning in those things that we see, the things that we study, the things that enter into our lives that we discover. We are to discern, and then we are to draw a line. We are to look and say, this is good, this is evil, this is, this is inappropriate, this is appropriate. And we are called to be doing that. Discernment, at a basic definition, is to separate things that they're points. The point of dis- difference in order to distinguish them. We are to be, we are to be discerning. And as we, as we look at this idea of discrimination and discerning and seeing how they're, they're, they're very synonymous, and yet we don't, most of us probably don't feel comfortable with them being synonymous because we want to say we need to have biblical discernment, but we don't want to be called discriminatory. We don't want to have discrimination. And there's a, there's a changing of the definitions, and we need to be wise in how we're saying things and, and what we're saying. So is, is what we're going to do, because uh, I, wrote it, I wrote it this way in my notes, we can no longer um, uh, discriminate between truth and error. However, in our modern usage, discrimination has powerful negative connotations. And so because it has positive, po- uh, strong negative connotations, discrimination, uh, many believers are shying away from it. They're shying away from making clear distinctions in their lives and in their belief systems. And as we look at what the Bible says, we are to be discerning. We are to make distinctions. 
The Bible calls us to that. So as we look at this idea of dis- discrimination, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul understood this, that discernment is the practice of looking closely at what you have discovered. We're going to look closely at what we're finding, what we're reading, what, we're being, what is being brought into our lives, and we are going to distinguish those things. We're going to look at them and say, are they good? Are they right? Are they healthy? Are they true? Or are these things evil? Are they false? Are they dangerous? Are they wrong? And as we look at those items, as we look at those things in our life, we have a responsibility to discern, to draw some lines, to put some parameters within our lives. But now if we discern, we're, we're often afraid that we'll, we'll look and we'll be discerning and we'll, we'll say, well, if I'm too discerning, people are going to come down on her heart of me and saying, I'm discriminating against. I'm, I'm drawing lines that I shouldn't be drawing lines. Um, thus, many believers are shying away from making clear distinctions in their lives, making clear distinctions in their belief. We, we don't want to talk harshly or, or firmly or clearly about the issues of homosexuality, gay, lesbian, transgender. Uh, even though 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, uh, Romans chapter 1, even though they all deal with that, we, we find a, a, a wishy-washiness about dealing with that. We, we find, even though the Bible teaches about wives being in submission to their husbands, even though the Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, we find that that's something that sometimes we don't want to get into because we're afraid that we're going to be called misogynist. We're afraid that we're going to be looked at as, as people are condescending toward women. And so Christians in general tend to back away from, from those areas. Even, even the idea of children obeying your parents. When we were, Adam was sharing in our Sunday school class this morning how the free thinkers and, and it was the, the atheists are looking and saying, parents, you shouldn't be indoctrinating and teaching your kids to obey. Let them think. Let them learn. Let them develop on their own. They'll develop their own truth sets. Even though Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we need to be doing that and children need to be obeying their parents. We need to, as we look through the, through the scriptures, take the things of scriptures and hold fast to them and put them to practice in our lives. We we need to be willing to discern biblical truth from error. And we must be willing to draw lines, to look and say, this is what the Bible teaches. This is the practice of biblical truth. And so therefore, I'm going to put it to practice in my life. Paul understood this. And so he takes the time in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to give us some truth. In the context of the passage, the Thessalonians are struggling with discerning teachings. There's, there's teachings that are coming in and they're wrestling. Second coming, the rapture, other, other areas that they're, they're wondering with. And so they're sort of not dealing with it, sort of despising the prophesying, sort of putting them away. The, they also, they, the, if you look at these verses, verses 21 and 22... They're located right in the middle of, of all these Christian virtues, things that all Christians are to be doing, praying without ceasing, despi- uh, quench not the spirit, despising not prophesying, the, the teachings of God's truth. These are all right in the, in the same passage, and then you're going to get into the, the, the verses that we're at in verse 21 and 22. There's a contrast here. Note in verse 20, it says, despise not the prophesyings. The, the teachings that are coming. Paul's saying, you've got these teachings coming, uh, Thessalonians. You need to listen to them. You don't need to push them off. You need to actually rather take them in, but you need to prove all things. Now, there's a contrast here. Depending on which translation you have here, uh, verse 21, uh, in the King James, it doesn't have the but. But in most other translations and in the Greek, there's a but. It says, but prove all things. So Paul is putting these two ideas together where he's saying, don't despise the prophesying. The teachings of God's truth are coming forward, but you, you need to accept them, but you do need to prove them. 
you do need to take what is being taught to you, what is, what is coming into your life in, in, as truth claims, as messages into your life, you need to take them, but you need to prove them. Now, that applies directly here to the, to the, the church setting. He's telling the Thessalonian believers when, when people are coming in and they're prophesying and they're teaching and they're proclaiming God's truth, you need to be listening to them. You need to be taking them in and you need to be proving it. You need to make sure that what is being preached is scriptural. But even taking it a little bit further, because Paul, Paul here, he deals with it specifically. He's going to say specifically this is dealing with what's being taught, but he uses some very general words. He keeps it general enough to highlight that discernment is needed in all of our areas of life. Put that all together for a moment. Think of all the different things that are coming into our life that are teaching us, that are making proclamations, that are educating us, that are teaching and training us through media, through news, through education, through our church, through our Sunday school, through, through everything we come in contact with, the radio, the talk show, they're all coming in and they're teaching us and they're telling us stuff and they're telling us stuff. We need to be discerning. We can't just take it in and just swallow it wholeheartedly. We must learn to be discerning. We must take what the Bible teaches us, use that as the filter that God has given to us and take all the truth that's coming in or all the claims of truth that are coming in and we must then take that according to the scriptures and say, is this what God is teaching me? Is this true according to scripture? So how do we develop this discernment? Paul's going to give us three practical areas, three ways to, to do this. The first thing is this, continually prove all things until you can approve them. Continually prove all things. He, right away in verse 21, he says, prove all things. Now, the idea of, of prove is to, to do a test for authenticity. I put down that God expects us to carefully examine everything. The, the test for authenticity is an examination. It's looking closely. It's scrutinizing it. Could you imagine if you went to the doctor this week because you're having a sickness, you're having an issue, maybe there's a problem. You walk into the doctor's office, you sit down, the doctor walks in, he looks at you and says, hey, you look great, have a good day, see you later, you're fine, go home. You would look and go, are you going to give me an examination? Are you going to find out what's wrong with me? Are you going to make some checks? Are you going to do some of the basic things? You would want to do that. You, I would expect that most of us would do that. But when truth claims come into our life, when the truth is given out, when people tell us items, when, when people are making claims out in the world, do we just look and go, oh, okay, it sounds logical. I guess, I guess I'll just go along with it. Or do I examine what they're saying? Do I think about those truths that they're making, the claims that they're making, and hold them up? Or do I just sort of look and go, eh, it's not a big deal. When I look at media, do I look at it and say, oh, it's just, it's just media, it's just entertainment for the sake of entertainment? Well, you know, it's not, not a big deal. And so I just go along with it. I am to examine. You are to be examining everything. Uh, when we talk about the idea of media, we're going to talk about that just for a second. There's a book called Youth Culture 101, Walt Mueller. He says this, although the purpose of entertainment is usually seen as mere amusement or money-making, its real purpose is education. Your teen goes to the school of adolescence with entertainment as the friend and the teacher. When we, when we watch things we're watching on TV, when we watch movies, when we, when we scroll through YouTube videos and clips, when you're out and you're, you're looking through stuff, surfing the net, you are in the school of entertainment. You are being taught something. It is not intended just simply 
for money making. You say, well, aren't you, aren't you just building a straw man, Pastor? Let's take a couple of, for a moment, the, the words of some people. Kanye West, he's a, he's a musician. Um, one of Time's 100 most influential people a few years back. He says, I feel like I'm here to change people's hearts and minds, to finally say something that's right for a change. And yet most of everything he says is anti-biblical. And yet he's out there saying, my goal is to change your kids' hearts. My goal is to change your heart. Uh, this, this man, you might not know him, Jerry Bruckheimer. Now you might know of him. You might know of the movies that he's, he's created. He's written, uh, produced tons of movies. And Jerry Bruckheimer, he, he says this. He said, when I, was, uh, when I was 20 years old, I started filmmaking and editing commercials. I learned the power of film, creating messages that reach a lot of people. And he goes on to talk about how he wants to, through his movies, he just doesn't want to entertain you. He wants to teach you something. And yet he's not teaching things consistently that are on a biblical level that we ought to be embracing and holding true. Now, we, we have a responsibility. And I'm not looking and saying, shun all movies, shun all TV. Let's bring them all in and smash them away. That's not what I'm saying. But we have a responsibility to be discerning in all of our media choices. Um, there's a, some of you uh, probably put more effort into reviewing what appliances you're going to buy your, for your home. Some of you may put more information trying to figure out the nutritional information of what is going into your kids' lives. You spend more time doing the ratings for all the things in your home than going through the media that is coming into your home. You'll spend more time doing that them worrying about what your kids are listening to, what they're watching. More, more worried about those things, because those are important. You know, whether or not the washer or dryer is going to last me seven years, as opposed to my kid who's going to struggle for 18, 20 years, depending on what they're, what they're doing. We, we, we live by this. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that's come out recently, I want to I take, take an idea here. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with VidAngel. Some of you may be, some of you may not be. If you're not, you need to become familiar with it. VidAngel is a, it's a, it's a, on the internet, you can rent any movie, usually for a dollar to four dollars, and it allows you to set up filters. Now, this, this came to my attention a little bit ago, but I, there's a movie up here. Now, these are all just Marvel movies. You know, they're just superhero movies. They're not a big deal. But one of these movies, a number of our teens saw this year. And some of you, you allowed them to go see it. Whether or not you, it may be an out of ignorance, I don't know. But there's a movie up there that I was, I was amazed that some of our teens went to see. It's the movie Deadpool. Now, the, here's, here's how VidAngel works. Deadpool works, you can, you can let's say we're going to rent this movie. So you, you, you click on it and say, okay, what do you want to rent? And if you, right here, you see what you will hear, what you will see. If you didn't put any filters on, you would see the whole movie. And so you, so you watch it, and that's, you would get everything. But what VidAngel allows you to do is actually go through and establish filters to say, hey, my kids aren't going to watch violence. My kids aren't going to watch, uh, have words that are going to come off. So you can take off all these certain cuss words right out of it, you, and it'll delete it out of there. You know, it'll, it'll take out all sensual uh, parts of the movie. You can go through and filter everything out that you want to. If you, and, and in this movie, in this case, there's 534 filters. If you were to take all of those filters out of objectionable and questionable material, this is what you get. You go from an hour and 48 runtime to an hour and 16 minutes. You lose 32 minutes of the movie. Do you see all that black right there? 
That's all language that's objectionable being taken out. What you see here, all that black that's taken out are scenes that are considered objectionable. And to look and go, it's not that big of a deal. It's just entertainment. What are we indoctrinating ourselves with? What are we becoming callous to? What are we allowing into our lives? We must, we must learn to be discerning with our media. If we're not, we're going to continue down this slope of just callousness towards sin, waffling in in unrighteousness and immaturity. And we need to be able to look and say, we need to be discerning. Now, it's really easy. It's really easy to just blast on media. And it's the first one we get to, and it's important because it's what comes into our eye. It sits in our soul. It's, it's all part of our life. But look at what Paul says in this verse. He says, prove all things. He doesn't just simply say, prove the media. He also is talking about those things in our lives where we need to prove them. We need to prove, you know, things about the, the lesbian, the gay, transgender. We need to, what does that Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about Christians drinking alcohol? What does the Bible say about what I put into my mouth? Am I supposed to just, no big deal, I can eat however I want to, and I can just, just gorge myself? What about starting a business? Our ideas are come, to come under subjection. All things in my life are to be proved, are to be tested according to God's word. God is to be at the center. His word is to be the foundational filter of everything we do. Not to simply look and go, hey, no big deal. But rather to look at our lives and say, God is center. And everything I do is going to be permeated by him. We are to continually prove all things because God expects us to carefully examine everything according to his standard. This is a spiritual conversation we're having. This is a spiritual passage. Prove all things. Hold fast that that which is good. Where do we learn good from evil? It is in his word. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. In comparison, direct comparison to this group at Thessalonica, the Bereans, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They didn't despise the prophesying sayings. uh, And they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. They were developing discernment. They were taking everything that was coming in and putting it under the scrutiny of God's word. What does God's word say? Titus 1 verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We are to know the word so that we can hold to it and we can contradict, say this is wrong if somebody is bringing untruth, false claims into our lives. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. Of those of who we have uh, many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teaches you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God, and are become such as have need of milk and, and not strong meat. In other words, we're at the point where we should be chewing on meat, but he's saying we need the simple, the simple truth here. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of, of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He highlights that as you mature and as you understand the word of God, you will have an easier, better time understanding and discerning what is good and evil. And then putting that into practice. 
which highlights teens. It highlights the fact that as you are developing, don't despise your parents when they look and say, what does the Bible say about this? Here's what the Bible says, because they're helping you move from being a babe, immature, drinking milk, to that more solid meat stage. You ought to be thankful. You ought to be accepting of those truths as they come into your life from somebody who is more mature, developing. And he looks and says, okay, we need to develop what is good, what is evil. And as as we look at it here, the the word uh, that, that Paul uses for good, it means that which is inherently genuine, true, noble, right, so we are to prove all things and we are to hold fast that which is good. So we're, we're, ex- we're expected to examine all these different things. We are to do it according to his standard, developing what is good or what is evil. Evil, in the, the verse 22, it talks about that which is harmful or malignant. It is the tumor of sin that wraps around your life, that, that sucks away the energy, that drains you, and sometimes you don't even realize it's there until it's too late. And he's saying, you need to learn to discern the good, the evil, what is right, what is good. John MacArthur wrote it this way. He said, that which is good does not refer to that which is entertaining. It does not refer to that which garners accolades from the world. It does not refer to that which is satisfying to the flesh. It refers to that which is good, true, accurate, authentic, dependable. That which is in agreement with the infallible word of God. And I believe one of the reasons we struggle with discernment and being discriminatory in our lives is that we have a low standard of the God, word of God. We say that it is God's word. We, we, we understand that we believe it. But when it comes to practicing it in our lives, when it comes to taking something that we like, something that we enjoy, yeah, I don't want to push that away. It's more important than God and God's word. We must have a high view of God's word. Spurgeon changed it up a little bit. He went even more, more conservative, more, more strict. I thought it was an interesting quote. It's not the difference between knowing right and wrong. It's the difference between right and almost right. How many of us, oh, it's not that bad. Well, is it that good? Is it, we, we've changed the question. We're, we're always asking, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? And yet in this passage, We're told to prove what's right with it. We must change the question that we are asking. What is right about what we are doing, about what we are watching, about what we are viewing, about what we are listening to? We must prove what is right. Prove those things. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So we look at it and say, okay, we are to do it. We are to do it according to God's standard, and we are to do it for the rest of our lives. Because the, the word here for prove, it is a, it's a continual action verb. It's to continually prove over and over again. It's not just, hey, I was, I was mature once when I was a teenager. I proved some things. I, I know that that's right. And I've got to figure it out the rest of my life. We all know that. Life changes. Things change. I mean, even, when I, even when I was a teen, I never, I never dreamt of the fact that I could actually sit in my living room on a computer and watch all these movies and watch anything I wanted to, literally across the world. I didn't, I didn't think that. And I'm younger than some of you, and some of you, that's the most far out thing. And, and we look at we can't just say, well, I, I dedicated my media life back to God back in 1983, and I'm, I'm good. No, this is an ongoing thing. Every day I am discerning, I am looking, I am examining what I am battling with and what is coming into my, my life. So, 
what do you do? You've examined it. You discover these truths. They come in. They're brought before you. You're bombarded with them. You begin to examine them. You look at it and you say, okay, according to God's word, this doesn't match up. According to God's word, this, this seems to be okay. This seems to be right. What do I do? Once you've evaluated, you embrace the good. That's the second step. First step, you need, to, you need to evaluate. Once you've evaluated, you embrace the good. Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. The word hold fast literally means to embrace wholeheartedly, to make it your own. You, and it's, it's not just this idea of, I'm going to claim that truth. It's the idea of, I'm going to claim that truth and I'm going to put it to practice in my life. There's some action to it. You hold on to it. I, I put the welcome to rejection up there. There's a, there's a tradition we have at teen camp. There is a game we play. It is called rejection. And if you've been to teen camp over the years, you, you know the game. You understand how the game works. What happens is we put the guys on one side, the ladies on the other, and I tell them to mingle. And they, they, they mingle around, and they're, they're going around in circles. And then I will call out a number. I will say like five. And five of the teens have to huddle together and sit down. Now, if six of them get in a group... They've got to push somebody out of that group because if six end up in the group, when I blow the whistle or when it's done, they're out. So they're pushing somebody out of the group. But what's always interesting to me is when they get pushed out of the group, that person is holding on with all of their might. You can see them shaking, trying to hold on to this person's leg, not getting pushed out. That's the idea of holding fast, that we don't want to let go. And it is an active grabbing. It was an interesting time we had this year. Um, some of the senior guys, James and Jack and Josh, we, I looked at them. There was one of the, one of the teens, one of the seventh grade. No, he's ninth grade. Uh, came up from Williamsburg. He's like, I'm just getting, I'm getting out of this game. I don't want out. So I looked at them. I said, guys, come here. And they're like, what? I said, don't, don't let Will lose. He can't. And they're like, got it. So what ended up happening is any time he was running around trying to get away from these guys. And they are just, they're hunting him down like, like lions going after like a gazelle. I mean, they're hunting him down from every angle. And as soon as I called a number, they would attack him and they would grab him and they would hold him tight and they weren't going to let him go. But that is how it happens with spiritual aspects in our life, discernment. We are to see that thing which is good and we are to hunt it down and hold it. It is part of our life. We don't let it go. And when we feel like it's going, no, we, we want to get it back. We are to prove all those things. We are to hold fast those things that are good. The third aspect, very simply in the text, verse 22, you are to reject. When you recognize that something is evil, reject it. To, to, to put it away. To, to take it and say, I, I want no more of it. The, uh, the, the word that's used here, there's, the, the Greek gets a little weird sometimes uh, because we don't always have the same tenses in English. Um, there's, there's, there's different tenses for a Greek verb. There's the idea of, okay, you hit the ball. It's active. I hit the ball. I did that action to the ball. There's another one which is passive where the ball hit me. Okay, so, so now the ball is doing the action toward and on me. And then there's another one that we, we don't use very often. It's called a middle voice. It, it has this idea that I hit myself with the ball. Now, you would like, no, why, why would I do that? Like, why would I hit myself with the ball? But that's, that's actually what is being used here. Where it says in, in the verse here, to abstain from all appearance of evil. The, the word abstain literally has, has the idea of it is my responsibility. It, it is to hold oneself away from. 
you have the responsibility to abstain. It's not, well, I wish just sin would just go the other way and I wouldn't have it. It's not the way the world works. Well, I wish, I wish the pastor would just get up and say, these are all the things that we must do. And if we just had those things, then that would be so much easier to do in life. And now just give me a list and I could live by it. And, and he would just do it. No, you have a responsibility to abstain. Teens, you have a responsibility to abstain. Parents, we have a responsibility to help them. To look and say, in our home, we are going to make our home a place where we are abstaining from evil. And the, and the word that's used here for the all appearances of evil, it's not, it's not the idea of, ooh, it looks like sin, I, I better stay away. It is the idea of every kind of evil. We are to run from evil no matter what it is. No matter how little we, oh, it's just a lie. You know, I'm at, I'm at work and he wants me to punch, it, punch him out a little bit early. It's not that big of a deal. I know he worked a little bit harder. I, I'll do it. No, I am to avoid that evil. Oh, it's just a tax return and nobody's gonna, the, the chance of the IRS actually catching me on that one little thing. It's not a big deal. No, I avoid all kinds of evil. No matter what it is. Oh, I, you know, I'm, nobody's, nobody's around. Here's, here's, here's my, you know, I saw a pastor's temptation hat today. And I looked at it afterwards and I'm like, ooh. This is true confessions, by the way. Um, I looked at it and yeah, they're both like, uh-huh. And I looked at it and I'm like, you know what? That payday looks really good. And I pulled off the payday and I just ate it. See, there you go. Look, see? And she's like, what? You know, doesn't, it doesn't work for the diet. I know, I got it. But but you look and say, it was, okay, Sharon wasn't around, so it was, no, it's not okay. It's not, it's not the right thing to do. I know that, but it was really good. But it wasn't right. <laughs> you know? and, and we look at it. We are to move away from all types of evil. You see, the Bible, the Bible lays it out. We are to be discerning. We are to be discriminating, not in the evil, inappropriate sense. That's, that's wrong. And please don't misunderstand me when I say that we are to be discriminating. Oh, Pastor Art says we should discriminate against races. And, and th- no, not at all. But we are to make a distinction between what is right and what is good. But we need to be wise. We need to be careful. Paul says it very clearly. You be wise to that which is good, simple concerning evil. In order to evaluate this, I don't have to participate in it. I don't have to go and say, well, I need to watch that movie to find out if it's good or evil. No, you don't. You can do the evaluation, especially now. We have more information available for us today to be able to do good evaluation on items before we ever even participate. You can learn. You can learn from those who are older who look and say, don't do that, man. I've been through that. Learn from that. You do not have to do that. In fact, uh, you know, you've heard the illustration. To find a counterfeit bill, you don't have to know all the different ways they make a counterfeit. You just need to learn and develop what is that good and understanding what is a real genuine dollar bill look like or the, the $100 bill. When you learn what the real one looks like, you'll be able to spot a counterfeit a mile away. Same thing is true. You learn the truths of God's word. It highlights what Pastor was saying this morning. We need to be in the Word of God, and we need to be people of the book. And five and ten minutes a day is not going to help us be discerning people. It is not going to help us to develop the abilities to point out truth and to shun evil and to call it what it is. We need to be into the book. And you, say, you might say, well, it's, it's a lot of work, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not there. And, and when we look at truth, you know, I, I don't really want to get into a whole lot. Just how I feel— 
Folks, experience does not equal truth. We can't look and go, well, this is what I think. And what, this is my experience. Because your experience may be different from so-and-so's experience. And if those two experiences are different, then which one's truth? You, you can't look and say, well, what I just feel or my experience is going to be truth. We must come back to the fact that the word of God is where we get truth. And we look and say, everything I do, it must go through the filter of the word of God. We must be those individuals. There, is, there are toxins out there that want to destroy us. You look back. And, and I was reading on some of the gas mask stories through World War I into World War II, some of those things. And there were, there were a number of, of adults now who wrote about their experience as kids. And they said when these, they would come to our houses in these cardboard boxes, and we would look at them, and our parents would put them on, and every time our parents would put them on, we would just scream because they looked, they looked horrific. And we wanted nothing to do with them. And one little girl wrote about how she, her, her mom told her, this is really important. There's danger. There's potential danger out there. You need to be able to have this to be able to put it on. You can't see the danger, but when you hear those sirens, when you hear it, you need to put that gas mask on. And she's like, oh, I didn't want to carry around this box. And it was too much. So her mom said, you know what? I, I'll help you. So she made this really nice purse box for her so that she felt comfortable carrying it around. And she said, I felt good. Then my mom would take the time to explain to me that she would make it a little bit more desirable. And I kept that gas mask with me wherever I went. And we look at those areas and we say, you know what? It's, it's very true. Adults, parents, we need to be making the word of God desirous to our teens, to our families. In your own life, you need to be taking the filter of the word of God to everything. Because Satan is out there. The world does desire to, to spread noxious gas into your life to do you harm. We are in a spiritual battle it is a battle for our souls, for our lives, for the livelihood of the next generation of our churches. It is a battle for our spiritual growth. And if we are just going to simply just keep taking it in, take in truth claims from everywhere and not filter it through the word of God, we are in a sad state. We are in trouble. And we must get to the point where we say, above all, there is a God he has spoken, and I'm going to take what he says, and I'm going to filter everything through it. I'm going to do that because whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Be upright. Walk in the ways of the Lord this week. Discover new truth from his word and apply it to your life. So that you can begin to grow, you can develop discernment, and you can develop that and pass it down to the next generation of believers. So that we might be able to help these teens, these young adults, grow and develop into godly young men and women. And to teens and young adults, develop discernment. Stop the cycle of teens and young adults just saying it's not that big of a deal. Develop discernment in your life. Get into God's word. Make it important and filter everything through it. And God will bless you for it. And you will grow 
and you will see the blessings of God in your life because of your ability to filter everything through God's word. Let's pray.